ओम ज्ञान चिरंजन and become in the mode of passion or ignorance. Or a person in the mode of ignorance may eventually come to the mode of goodness. But Krishna is pointing out that all these conditions of the modes of material nature bind the eternal living being to the material world. And therefore, uh, Krishna is advising to become free from the effects of the modes of material nature and come to the eternal position beyond the modes of material nature. In that condition, one does not change. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have any personality. And in personality there are different moods also. But the transcendental moods of a liberated devotee are all based on service to Krishna. Whereas a conditioned soul is only thinking how to satisfy his own senses. And thus a conditioned soul is ruled by the three modes of material nature. Whereas a pure devotee, sometimes he may be in a gentle mood, sometimes an angry mood, But his motive is only to please Krishna. For instance, we saw Srila Prabhupada, who is undoubtedly a great pure devotee of Krishna. Sometimes he was expressing great pleasure in the devotee's efforts to serve Krishna. And sometimes he was very angry at the arguments of the impersonalists and the atheists. But he was always fixed in transcendental service to Krishna. So there is a great difference between the moods of a pure devotee and the moods of a conditioned soul. Sometimes uh, people who don't know actually how a sadhu should behave think that a sadhu should simply be aloof from everything. So definitely a sadhu is aloof in the sense that he's not interested in personal sense gratification. But a preacher of Krishna consciousness is very much involved in the world because he has service to perform to Krishna in this world. He has to preach the message of Krishna in this world, therefore he has to be involved in it. For instance, uh, any money that comes in his hand, he's concerned to use it properly for Krishna. He doesn't think, oh, this money, this is material, I don't want it. He thinks that this can be used in Krishna's service. If I can use this to print books for Krishna, purchase bow and offer prasad, offer that to Krishna and distribute prasad, that will benefit people. So he's, he's pleased to get money because he thinks, oh, now I, can, now I can serve Krishna more like this. Of course, Krishna says in Gita, Patram Pushpam Param you can only eat fruit or water and will be satisfied. But to preach the message of Krishna in the modern world is a great undertaking. If the sadhus simply sit in the forest and offer flowers to Krishna, that is very nice for their own spiritual advancement. But that will not help others to understand Krishna. So a sadhu comes into this world and acts within this world for the benefit of others. That means if we are to preach, we should do so by all means available. We should print books, build temples, and so many different things. So that requires much endeavor, much activity, much organization. Seems everyone can understand English. <laughs> and uh, that requires much funds. Uh, you may be surprised to see uh, devotees 
using all these different things, but the, the purpose is to satisfy Krishna. So he requires transcendental vision to see how a devotee is living in this world, but not affected by the modes of materialism. He is not a materialist because he's doing everything he This is the way to be liberated, even while living in this world. We have heard the term Jiva Mukta, one who is liberated even in this world. That is stated in the Narada Pancharata. Someone who, while living in this world, engages his works, karma, his mind, and his words in the service of Hari is known to be liberated in this very world. So, although he is moving within the atmosphere of the three modes of material nature, he has conquered over the three modes of material nature by engaging all his words, activities, and thoughts in the service of Krishna. This chapter of Bhagavad Gita is entitled The Three Modes of Material Nature, in which Krishna describes the, interact- the, the interactions of the modes of material nature and how it affects the condition, how they affect the conditioned souls. But the real point is not simply to make some psychological analysis. The real point is to teach us how to rise above the modes of material nature. And that is described by Krishna at the end of this chapter, in which Krishna says, you know the translation of this verse? Can you say it? I also don't know exactly what's written in the book. So this is a very important verse. The Bhagavad Gita will find Maya is very difficult to overcome. This material world is compared to a great ocean. How many of you have seen the ocean? Maybe all of you haven't even seen it. If you haven't been to Madras, you haven't seen it? Has everyone seen? They've all seen it. At least on TV. If you're in the ocean on a ship, as far as you can see, there's only one. And if you're on a ship crossing, say, the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean, you can go for days and days moving and you'll see nothing but water. So Maya is like a great ocean, very vast and difficult to cross over. Have you seen the strong waves? In Madras, the waves are very strong. That's very dangerous. They can immediately carry you away and drown you. So Maya is like that. As soon as we enter into the material atmosphere, our whole consciousness is taken away. A good example is the TV. As soon as you start to watch, immediately you forget and your whole consciousness is... And you forget everything all around you and whatever nonsense is on the TV, you take it very seriously. So like that, material life is like TV. It's not actual reality, but our whole consciousness becomes absorbed in it. So we forget, actually, the whole world around us, and we just become transfixed watching some drama on TV. So Bhagavad Gita is for waking us up. Utishta, Jagata, Taka, Maroni, Upanishads say, Get up, wake up, attain the boom of life. So that means to come to Krishna consciousness, to understand that all this... All the activities that are going on in material life 
they're temporary and have no real value. Reality means to understand Krishna. And that we can all practically experience, isn't it? Uh, that if we take up Krishna consciousness, it's a completely different experience of life to anything else. Materialistic people, they can't understand. Why should anyone want to do that? They can't understand. Why would educated, intelligent people want to say Hare Krishna again and again and again? You could be using your intelligence to work harder and make more money. But they have no experience of the bliss of Krishna consciousness. The happiness a devotee gets by simply offering a flower to Krishna far exceeds that of anything the material world has got to offer. Now the beauty contests have become very popular in India. Although it's actually uh, it's just prostitution. But anyway, whoever wins the prize and they become the beauty queen, they have a big smile and they're very happy. But it's not actual happiness. The happiness the devotee gets by offering a flower to Krishna exceeds that in millions and millions of times. So ultimately, Krishna conscious has to be experienced, we understood. And anyone can experience that. We are all experiencing that. How the happiness of serving Krishna far exceeds that in the material world is going to be. So I can simply request you to please go on with your Krishna consciousness, take it more and more seriously, become more and more convinced, try to serve Krishna more and more, develop our loving feelings for Krishna more and more, develop taste of chanting the names of Krishna more and more. And in this way, become more and more Krishna conscious. And the more we become Krishna conscious, the more we become free from the effects of the nature. And the more we become situated in our original position, of eternal bliss. So thank you very much for taking up this. I appreciate your feeling. How you should all go forward. Forward and up. Become more and more Krishna conscious. Hare Krishna. Any question about this? Is Jnana and Bhakti one and the same? Knowledge and wisdom one and the same? Um, yes. What did you say? Knowledge, well, you said Gyan and Bhakti. Knowledge and wisdom. But you've translated Bhakti as wisdom. Possibly much. The thing is that knowledge is theoretical and activity is practical. Yeah, it's just like, it's just like someone, someone may be trained as a doctor, but unless he practices as a doctor, then the knowledge that he's attained is of no practical use. So what does Gyan mean? Gyan means to know who I am, what is the meaning of life. That is Adhyatmic Gyan. So Adhyatmic Gyan means to understand I am not the body, I am Atma, I am eternal, I am the eternal servant of Krishna. So if one actually has got that knowledge, then what will he do? He will serve Krishna and that is Bhakti. So Bhakti is the realized state of Gyan. Now, of course, Adhyatmic Gyan is often propagated as being something impersonal. People are advertised as Gyanis who have an impersonal concept of the Absolute Truth. But real Gyan, or, or full, mature, complete Gyan, means to understand that I am eternal servant Krishna. Going to holy places is very important. If you are not going, it is like the root of a tree, static. But if you are not in a position to go to such holy places, what is to be done? You chant Hare Krishna, then Krishna is present. Why are the holy places holy? What makes the holy places holy? Because of the presence of Krishna. 
Why do people go to Sri Rangana? Because Ranganatha Swami is there. Why do people go to Tiramala? Because Srinivas is there. But if you chant Hare Krishna, Krishna is there. Actually, Shastra says when you go to the holy place, even more important than taking bath and seeing the deity is to associate with sadhus. That means that at the holy places there are meant to be sadhus who will teach you what is the importance of the holy place. Unfortunately, in many holy places there are no such sadhus present. So actually you'll get more benefit from coming here and getting spiritual instruction and going from, to many of the holy places. In many ways, this Renzit building here is more of a holy place than many famous temples. Because you can visit many famous temples and no one will give you any instruction that will improve your life. People are going as a kind of ritual. They go, they take darshan, they take ladu and they come. But they don't get any valuable instruction to improve their spiritual life. But that we will get here. So, in many ways, Coming here and associating with the devotees is more important than visiting many holy places. Maharaj, in every religion, uh, there is only a belief that after leaving body, we go to God. Likewise, in our uh, following also, here we think that we are going to Krishna. Uh, Prabhu's wife has been uh, putting raising and question to him. You are going there, but how do you know after your death you will be going to Krishna? Who has confirmed it so far? Well, what would you consider proof? No, I'm asking a question. What would you consider proof? How far away is the sun from the earth planet? According to scientists, it's about at least, when I was in school, I don't know, 93 million miles. I don't have any kilometers, I think it's about 140 million kilometers. So whatever it is, there's an accepted figure. We can say that the sun is about 140 million miles away. Would your wife accept that? Huh? Ah, she's accepting that. Why? Because the scientist. Does she know herself? She has read from some books, and so she knows. Why does she accept? But how does but how does she know what the proof is? She doesn't know, but she accepts the scientists. She accepts them as authorities in a field of knowledge in which she has no entry. She's not. She has no understanding. So similarly, in the matter of understanding what happens after death, there are certain authorities who are accepted by all experts in this field. And all the experts in the field of spiritual knowledge all accept that after the demise of the body, the soul continues to exist. And they have their method of understanding, which you may not understand. Just like we don't know how the scientists come to their conclusion about the distance of the sun from the earth. You accept it under the authority of persons who know the science and who are experts and who are authorities in it. Now, there is a uh, common myth that scientists don't accept the existence of life after death. But that is true of some scientists, but not all scientists. There are many scientists who believe in God and accept the existence of the soul after death. Here we have two doctors, Keshavanandas and Nyush, uh, trained in science, spent many years studying medicine, are qualified as doctors, they've done their, they're fully qualified, and they're chanting Hare Krishna. 
because they know that even though they've studied so much about the body, that more important is the, than the body is the soul. Einstein believed in the least superficial. So you may not accept Krishna as an authority, but if you accept Einstein as an authority, then you should believe in God. What do they say the distance? You just you were in school recently. What's the distance from the sun to the earth? You know they don't teach anymore. They're probably, <laughs> they're probably confused. It's a general science topic. I mean, I learned that when I was six years old. What about you? You were less recently. What do they say? Attitude is awakened and nourished 
by association with devotees who are themselves serious to be pure devotees. So our own personal intention is very important and our, the association we keep is also very important. So I think the association you're getting here is very favorable for advancing in devotional service. Yeah. Fortunate. Yeah, it's good fortune. It's good fortune to have such favorable association. And that is that is the meaning of God. God is not omnipresent and is not God. But he's also a person with specific form. God means Purna, complete. So he he is replete in his own transcendental form. At the same time, he's all pervading and omnipresent. describes that he is he resides in the Lokvindavan, and he's also present within the heart of the living being. There cannot be two things that are unbelievable. Only religious other serious. No, in material by material understanding we can't understand this. This appears to be a contradiction. But for God, everything is possible. If he's not omnipresent, then he's incomplete. If he doesn't have form, he's incomplete. So everything is possible for God, even though we can't imagine. If we try to understand simply by logic, it may not be possible. Logic is useful for understanding up to a certain level. But the nature of God is ultimately achimta. It's beyond the power of our brain to understand. We can understand to a certain extent. That's why Krishna explains about himself in Bhagavad Gita. But some things can be understood simply by accepting them. Just like the story of the Brahma and the Kabla. You know that story? No, the story is that there were Narad Muni was wandering along the path and he came across one Kabla sitting under a banyan tree. The Kabla offered his obeisances and asked Narad Muni, where are you going? So Narad, Narad said, I'm going to Vaikuntha to see the vision. So the Kabla again offered obeisances and said, oh, you're so fortunate. You're such a great devotee. Please ask Lord Narayan when I may get the chance to directly see his lotus feet and come to his abode. So after Narad Muni went on after some distance, he saw one great Brahmana reciting the Vedas so the Brahmana saw him and said, Narad Muni, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to Vaikuntha to see Lord Vishnu. So the Brahman said, well, tell him, you know, I'm, I'm quite old now, so I'll be dying soon, and uh, certainly I'll be liberated, so tell him to you know, have a good reception party waiting for me. So Narad went to see Lord Vishnu, and after praising him in so many ways, he mentioned about the Brahmana and the Kabla. So... Narad said, well, the Brahman is expecting to come soon, he asked me to mention to you. But Lord Narayan said, oh, he won't be coming to me very soon. He said, I, I, don't, I, I don't know, maybe many, many millions of lives before he comes to me. Narad said, oh, really? What about the problem then? And he, really, he really has no chance of coming to you. Lord Narayan said, no, he's coming in his next life. Just, just as when he gives up his body. And I said, well, how is that possible? It's a very pious, learned Brahmana. He's not coming to you after millions of years. But Kabla, he's dealing with leather all the time. He's not at all educated. And you say he's coming to you? How is that possible? So Lord Narayan said, I'm not going to give you the answer directly, but you'll find out. When you meet the Brahmana and the Kabla again, you tell them both that when you saw me, 
I was engaged in putting an elephant through the eye of a needle. So now I was feeling very confused. Brahmana is not coming to Vishnu, but the cobbler is, and I had to tell them both that Narayan was putting an elephant through the eye of a needle. So on his way back, he saw the cobbler, he saw the Brahmana first. So the Brahmana said, Oh, oh, Narayan, so, uh, are they getting the reception party ready for me? And now it said, um, well, actually no. Lord Vishnu told me that you won't be coming to him even in many, many millions of births. So the Brahmin said, oh, I don't believe you're going to see Lord Vishnu at all. Tell me, what was Lord Vishnu doing when you saw him? So now he said, he's putting an elephant through the eye of the needle. Brahmin said, just see, cheetah, you never went to see Narayan again. Having you put an elephant through the eye of a needle. So you think I'm just a Brahmin reciting readers, but I also studied physics in school. According to the law of laws of physics, an elephant can't go through the eye of a needle. Get out of here, cheetah. So now it went up and he came to the cobbler sitting under the banyan tree. The cobbler immediately paid his full obeisances to him and said, Oh, Narayan, you're so fortunate to meet if I come to and see my Lord Narayan. Please tell me. What wonderful activity was Lord Narayan doing when you saw him? Now it said he was putting an elephant to the eye of the needle. Cobbler said, Ah, oh, how wonderful. My Lord is so wonderful. So now it said, Well, you know, you're just a cobbler, you didn't go to school. If you studied physics, you'd know that an elephant can't go through the eye of the needle. So how can you believe that Lord Narayan is doing it? The cobbler said, You see, I'm sitting under this huge banyan tree. And in every tiny seed of the banyan tree, there's another huge banyan tree. Lord Narayan put it there. So if you can put a huge tree in a small seed, you can put an elephant through the eye of the needle. He's God, he can do whatever he likes. And if he can't do whatever he likes, then he's not God. So this is a case of understanding by accepting. If you accept that Bhagavan can put an elephant through the eye of the needle, then simply by accepting it, you can understand it. And that is the beginning of understanding God, that he has a chintya shakti. Means he can do that which is not conceivable to us. And unless you accept that God has a chintya shakti, then actually we don't accept God at all. Because if he does things which are conceivable to us, then he's not much greater than us. Uh, very, soldiers very fast at running. They can, they can run a mile in less than four minutes. Again, they can run you can't imagine that someone would run to Madras in four minutes. God can do it. He's there and he's here simultaneously. Even a yogi can do that, although science can't explain how. So God is everywhere and he's simultaneously present in his own abode in his original triangle form as Krishna. That is the plan according to Shastra. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.